Well, open your Bibles this morning. We're going to be, uh, again, a lot of passages. You know, when preaching on something like prayer, you realize there's just a lot in the Bible that deals with the subject of prayer. And so I'm, I find myself having to pick and choose which passages we're going to share. But um, I, I want you to open to two places, um, and, and they'll be kind of the landing points for us. We're going to be in Philippians, the book of Philippians chapter 2, and then Luke chapter 18, um, I have some other verses that I'll share. They'll all be up on the, on the screen behind me. Well, today is the final installment, the final message in our series on prayer. It's week number six. Uh, we've been talking about prayer for these last few weeks. And if you've not had an opportunity to listen to uh, this, the messages either here on a Sunday morning or online, please do that. They're all posted on the church website um, or you can subscribe to the podcast um, I don't want to recap everything. I want to jump into the material. So I'll just mention the titles of each of those messages. First week, we talked about David's prayer to search me. Um, the next week was his next prayer was break me, not an easy prayer to pray. Send me Isaiah's prayer after standing in the presence of God. And God says, who, am I, who will I send? Who will go? And Isaiah's like, hey, pick me, pick me. I want to go. Lord, send me. We talked about prayer and God's presence, and how prayer, when we're in God's presence, how it ushers in the presence of God into our lives and our awareness, and how we're sent out of the presence of God and the hunger for His presence. And then last week, we talked about prayer and thanksgiving and prayer and faith. It's been a journey for me, and I imagine for you as well, as we've talked in our life groups, as I've heard people just discussing the messages, um, there's, there's been some... Uh, squirming in the seat, as it were, but, but kind of internally, I know this. I know for myself what God has been speaking to me through this, this series um, has not left me uh, in a place where I can just be comfortable. Um, he's stirring things in my heart, and my prayer and my hope is that he's doing the same in, you, in your heart this morning. With that said, I come to this morning's message, this final message on prayer, um, and I want to give a... Uh, a caveat. I want to give kind of an, an introduction or, or a, a, maybe a disclaimer, but that's maybe even too harsh of a word. There is a, a, a feel to this morning's message that will, will feel like an exhortation and not of the encouraging one, but it's more that, that the, the idea that God corrects those and disciplines those he loves. Um, I don't want this message to come across as seeming manipulative or arm-twisting. Um, I want you to hear the heart of God as I speak this morning, and I have wrestled over this message. Um, I, by the way, can I just say, well done being at church on time today, yeah. right? You guys, well done. Um, I, I lost sleep last night, not just because of the time change, um, but I, I wrestled through the night with the message um, for today. So I don't want this to sound like, I'll just be blunt. Can I just be blunt? I don't want this to sound like a frustrated pastor trying to motivate his congregation. Can I just say that out front? That is not my heart this morning. In fact, that's something that the Lord has been dealing with in my own life, and he's, and he's winning. So that's good. So that, that is not the tone, and if you, if you feel that, put it aside and say, that's not, that's not Barry's heart today. Is that fair? 
I want to talk about prayer and an intercession this morning. Prayer and intercession. Again, a term that if you've been around church at all uh, for any amount of time, it's probably something that's very familiar. Uh, yeah, we have to intercede. I'm interceding for you. We're going to have intercessory prayer. But I believe it's, it's one of these places in prayer that we don't have a depth of understanding that really equips us to pray effectively. To pray effectively. James says that the prayer of the righteous person is both powerful and effective. And that our prayer is supposed to be effective, but that means we have to pray a certain way. I said last week that it's not just that we pray, it's important how we pray. I say that again, it's not just important that we pray and check the box. Okay, I prayed today, that's done, now let me go mow the grass. It's also important how we pray, how we come to prayer and what's happening in our lives This theme that's been even running for the last year for us as we talked about Romans chapter 8, that God's desire is that he would conform us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the goal. That is what he is after. That is what he wants for you. He wants you to look more like Jesus. And I mentioned that prayer is a huge part of that forming and conforming process. He wants to mold you and shape you. But that's not all. It doesn't end there. As we're being conformed to the image of Jesus, as we become more Christ-like, and that's what our, 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 you know, um, what we're called, right? Christians. We're small Christs. As we're formed into his image, that that image then begins to inform how we pray. Does that make sense? It's not just that I become more like Jesus, but then my prayer life takes on a a tone and a representation of the way that Jesus himself would pray. And so there's this process that happens. So to what end do we pray? What's the goal? What's the point of prayer? Is it to be safe? Do we pray so that we're comfortable? Do we pray... Simply to be fed, to receive? Do we pray for our finances just so that we, we, we will have enough? Do we pray to be filled with faith? God, just fill me and give me more faith. Absolutely, we pray for all of these things. God cares about those things, and we've talked about that. But not only that, that's not the end. It's part of the process, but there's something bigger. I want to say this slowly. This is something that the Lord dropped in my heart. I want to read this carefully, slowly. It's highlighted in my notes. If at the end of it all, the result is anything less than our hearts aching for and being moved by the things that touch the heart of God, we have altogether missed the point. If at the end of it all, the result is anything less than our hearts aching for and being moved by the things that touch the heart of God, we have altogether missed the point. God's heart is that you would have his heart. 
God's heart is that you would care for the things he cares about, have compassion on the things he has compassion about. We, pray, we sing a song, break my heart with what breaks yours. And it's easy to do this, right? Break my heart with what breaks yours. And then not actually let it happen. And I believe that our words matter and that when we stand before God and give an account of our lives, he'll say, you sang that song and you prayed those words, but you didn't live it out. I can think of no greater privilege than to have a heart for the lost because it's the very reason that Jesus came. It's why he came to earth. It's why John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave. Why? Because God has a heart for the lost. E.M. Bounds, who uh, is, is really considered to be the authority on prayer, he's written a number of books, uh, lived long ago, has, has been in heaven for a long time, but his work continues. He wrote this. What loftiness of soul, what purity and elevation of motive, what unselfishness, what self-sacrifice, what exhaustive toil, what ardor of spirit, what divine tact are requisite to be an intercessor for men. Some big words in there and some old English, but I think you get the point. Should I read it again? What loftiness of soul, what purity and elevation of motive, what unselfishness, what self-sacrifice, what exhaustive toil, what ardor of spirit, what divine tact are requisite to be an intercessor for men. I mentioned that Esther was an intercessor. If you ever had a conversation with her and talked about prayer, you, you knew that she, she loved to pray for people. In fact, her sister was sharing uh, with us how she loved to, to look in the Laverne magazine and figure out what activities they had going on. And then she would call her sister and say, I need you to go on the internet because Esther didn't have a computer. And, and I need you to sign me up for this outing or that activity. Um, and, and her sister, who doesn't know the Lord, be praying for them, by the way, they don't know the Lord. And one of Esther's prayers was that her sister and brother-in-law would come to know Jesus. So try, pray for Troy and Becky, that they would come to know the Lord. And she thought, how fun that Esther wanted to do these things. And after Andrew and I got in the car and we were driving away, I was like, Esther didn't care about the activities. Esther was looking for an opportunity to connect with people. I know that she prayerfully went through that catalog and said, Lord, where do you need me to go? And she would come to life group and say, I was at this place or was it this activity or is it the library? And I was wanting to pray for this person. And she was just honing in. What a privilege to intercede for men and women. Psalm 2 verse 8 says this, Ask of me. And I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of your earth, the earth your possession. Ask of me, God says. Ask of me and I will give you the nations, as it says in the, in the NIV. I will give you the nations. 
but you have to ask. Intercession at its core is others-focused, not self-focused. So prayer stops being about what do I get, what do I need, what do I want, and it becomes about the needs of others. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom, ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing. Do nothing. Everyone say that with me. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Why? Because that's the heart of God. That is the heart of God. That he was looking at the need of man. And he, and he, along with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the three in one, said, what are we going to do? And Jesus said, I'll go for us. It is at its core, others focused, not self-focused. So with that in mind, you know, I was thinking this morning, I'm like, I don't have any fun stories to share, humorous things. And, and I felt like the Lord said, that's okay. We talked about the Lego last week, right? And I'm like, well, I don't have anything like that. And God's like, it's okay. Because this is serious business. It's serious business. So with this in mind, I want to talk about intercessory prayer. I want to make five points about intercessory prayer that you can mark down. Again, this is not comprehensive, and there's probably other things that can impact, but I believe this is what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us this morning. In fact, let's pray. Father God, would you prepare the soil of our hearts to receive the deposit, the seeds that you want to place in us today? God, I thank you right up front that you care about our needs, that you care about our provision, even as Jim just shared this morning that you care about the financial provision and restoring what the enemy has stolen. You care about the pain that we're walking through, the physical needs that we have, the relational needs we have, Lord, that all of those things matter to you. Jesus, even as you pray, give us this day our daily bread. Your desire is that we would lack nothing. But Lord, I pray this morning that we would move beyond just prayer that is self-fulfilling. And then we would hear your heart for people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Intercessory prayer is first compassionate. Intercessory prayer is compassionate. And compassion is this. We have a, a, an understanding of compassion sometimes that is a little skewed. It's a little bit off. I'll tell you this morning, sympathy is not compassion. Sympathy is not compassion. Sympathy, sympathy says this, I feel bad for you. I'm so sorry that happened to you. That's, that's too bad. That's, that's terrible. Whatever, however else would fill that in. I'll be praying for you. I'll just pray. I'll, I'll pray a little prayer for you. I feel so sorry for you. That is not compassion. See, Sympathy tries to put us in that person's shoes. If I feel bad for you, I'm going to try and feel what you're feeling. Or might say something along the lines of, 
well, I have no idea what you're going through. I couldn't even imagine what you're going through. See, compassion is empathy. Empathy. And empathy is this. My heart is breaking as God's heart breaks for you. See, empathy isn't you putting yourself in the place of the person. It's you putting yourself in the place of God. And, and, and understand that in the right context, that you're not a God. But as Jesus Christ, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that empathy would say, how does God feel about what this person is going through? Because that's where we should start our prayer battle from. I intercede from a place of compassion because when I understand how God is feeling about your situation, it will inform me on how to pray. We often say something like this, well, how can I pray for you? It's a good question, but it's not the only question. It's to bring this to the Lord and say, God, how should I pray for that person? And how are you feeling about what they're walking through? Compassion motivated Jesus. Jesus saw the people and he declared that they were sheep without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. The Greek word there is a, it's a fun word. It's the word splonknizomai. Splonknizomai. Compassion, splonknizomai deals with, it's actually uh, your bowels. Mm-hmm. And it's feeling things at such a deep level that it just aches inside of you. When Jesus saw the crowds and that they were helpless and harassed, that he ached for them to the very depths of who he was. Read that passage in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus went throughout the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, and when he saw the crowds, he had splonknizomai for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Again, a passage that we're familiar with because we quote that one. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. few. Raise up people. And God's like, I'm not just looking for people. I'm looking for people who have splonknizomai for the lost, who ache for the lost, who have compassion for the lost, who have empathy for the lost, and not just for their physical situation, but for the lostness of their souls. That they are separated from God. That they do not know their heavenly Father. Intercession, by the way, by definition is this, is when one party, a mediator, goes between two people or two parties or two nations that are separated because of some kind of strife and reconciles them, that brings them back together. Our part as, a, as an intercessor for, for the Lord is this, that we are seeking to reconcile people to God. Of course, God is perfect. And so the reconciliation work is always towards him, not God being shaped towards people's needs and who they are. 
And so our perspective is, what is it that needs to happen in someone's life to draw them to God? In fact, Jesus said that, right? I'm drawing people unto myself, and I am working a work of reconciliation. Paul writes about this extensively, that it was Jesus reconciling the world to himself. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be mediators, intercessors, but we have to start from a place of compassion. We have to have a heart that aches for the lost. Secondly, intercessory prayer is bold. It's bold. I'm going to read a passage out of Genesis chapter 18. It's a longer passage, but it's important that we we, we get this all in context. It's Abraham, after the Lord had come with, with a couple of angels and they told Abram and Sarah that they were going to have a child and it's the whole incident where Sarah laughed. And at the end of this encounter, they've been sitting, they shared a meal. The Lord gets up to leave and he starts talking about Sodom and Gomorrah and the lostness. And Abraham starts Speaking to God in verse 23, it says this, Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in this, within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do, do what is just. And the Lord said, if I find, it, find at Sodom 50 righteous in this city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham answered and said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I think he really meant that. And I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will, not un, uh, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, no, let the Lord not be angry, and I will speak once again, but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went away when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Abraham interceding for the city of God. Sodom and Gomorrah, standing in the gap, standing in a place to say, God, listen, I know, I know that there are wicked people and you want to wipe them out, but what if? What if there's 50? What if there's 45? What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? God, what if there's 10? For some reason, he stops at 10. What if there's 10? Can you hear the boldness of Abraham and the asking. The boldness to, to come before God and contend for people. 
to contend for those who are lost, for content, to contend for those who don't know him. Again, Psalm 2, verse 8, ask of me and I will give you the nations or make the nations your heritage. But you have to ask. I highlighted the word. <laughs> ask. Intercession needs to be bold. That God's not asking us to just come and go, hey, Lord, would you just, would you save my family? God, I know my neighbor doesn't know you, but if you, you know, just, just work on their heart. That God is looking for hearts that will press in and be bold and say, God, I don't want to see my family go to hell. I don't want to see my neighbor be lost. So, Lord, I'm asking, and I'm asking, and I'm asking, I'm asking boldly. I'm asking big. And understand it comes not from a demanding place. You hear the reverence in Abram's tone. (laughs) Oh, Lord, don't be angry. But even Abram understood that he could come to God and really influence the way things went. We, We need to come with that same boldness. I think there's something about it. You're bold to ask for something or press for something when you really want it to happen. I mean, imagine something that you, that you want to happen, that you want, you, you know, a trip or, or a place you want to go or something you want to purchase. You're going to be bold in your asking. My kids are bold when they're asking for something they really want. If it's something they don't really care about, they'll ask, I'll say no, and they'll go, okay, no big deal. But man, if there's something that they're longing for, they will ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And they'll ask boldly. We need to come with a boldness because it speaks to the condition of our heart. Not the condition of God's heart. It speaks to the condition of our hearts. Do we really care? So intercessory prayer is compassionate. It's bold. Third is this. It's persistent goes hand in hand with the boldness. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8, Jesus tells this story, this parable. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them, listen, that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. Sounds like a nice guy. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust, says, the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I would suggest that that is probably one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture right there, which is why I highlighted it and underlined it. When Jesus comes, will he find faith on the earth? And what he's not talking about here is, and by the way, this is Jesus saying this about himself. When I come back, 
Are you simply just going to say, hey, Jesus, I believe in you and I go to church? Or will I find a faith that is so persistent in asking for the lost and for justice and for righteousness? Will I find that kind of faith? If anything, this should motivate us. Intercessory prayer is persistent. That I ask and 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 I ask. And then I ask some more. And Jesus says, listen, if an unrighteous man, a man who's not godly and doesn't care about people will finally give in, how much more will God who actually cares respond to our prayer? I want to I make this specific. There are people in your life that you care about who don't know Jesus. When last did you go before him and plead for their salvation and ask that God would move on their behalf? When last did you approach the throne of God boldly on their behalf? Oh, that our hearts would not grow so cold that we would not care that people don't know Jesus. Persistent daily prayer to ask specifically. Fourth is this, intercessory prayer is impartial. It's impartial. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Who does he desire? All. I'm going to count to three. We're going to shout all together. One, two, three. All. All right. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, that man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That Jesus came at just the right time to save sinners like you and me. And the testimony of his life is that he wants to do it for other people. And the testimony of our lives is he wants to do it for other people. But it is impartial. Intercessory prayer is impartial. It's not about who we like, who we don't like, who we agree with, who we hate, who's wronged us, who's said something, some point, sometime that offended us, hurt us, did whatever, fill in the blank. That I don't get to choose who I have a heart for. Well, I love them, but I don't like them. <laughs> Garbage. That's right. Because if you say those words, you are a liar. Oh. Right. Because agape doesn't give you permission to say I love them, but I don't like them. Right. Now, we can be right. wise and not make sure that we're not putting ourselves in a compromising position or in a place where we keep being hurt, but it cannot affect our heart because we have to look through the perspective of Jesus Christ, right? We established that. Empathy is not putting myself in their shoes. It's putting myself in God's shoes. And he desires that all would come to a knowledge of the truth. 
I want to I make this very practical this morning. Um, you, you will not hear me, especially in our current political climate, endorse any particular candidate or party. I heard a pastor once say this. Someone asked him, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And he said, neither, I'm a Christian. Right. See, my allegiance is to the kingdom. My allegiance is to the kingdom. And that's where I have to stand. But I've noticed as of late that on Facebook, especially, that my timeline is riddled and filled with people's opinions and people I love and respect are throwing stones. And it breaks my heart. And it doesn't mean we don't have an opinion. But I tell you what, what we do with that matters. I want to encourage you as we get closer to this election and even as we have our current president that before you post in public that you pray in in private. Before you post in public, pray in private. Before you throw it out there for the world to know how you feel. By the way, your opinions on, on politics can affect your testimony So something that is temporal can affect eternity. I want eternity to affect the temporal, not the other way around. I don't want someone who's a friend of mine on Facebook or a friend of a friend of Facebook or a friend of a friend of a friend on Facebook who liked something that someone else liked to go, hey, there's that name, Barry Mulock, and he said, blah, blah, blah. He agreed with that. You know what? I don't have a minute to hear what you have to say about that or anything else. And my testimony is diluted. Don't let politics affect your testimony. Why? Because intercessory prayer is impartial. Paul says here. Let me find it. For kings and all who are in high positions... Pray for government, pray for your president, pray for the elected officials, pray for the mayor, pray for, pray for whoever God puts on your heart and really mean it. Why? Because God has a heart for them and you should too. Intercessory prayer is impartial. So God doesn't care your affiliation. I say that again. God doesn't care what your political affiliation is. It doesn't matter to him. Bible says that all authority comes from God and that we need to pray for those who are in authority over us. Sound good? Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We don't get off the hook on this one, people. We don't get off the hook on this church. There's no way for us to exegete our way around it we can't take scripture and go well another ver- no it is what it is all right moving on intercessory prayer is sacrificial how do i know because of the cross because jesus modeled it for us and if we're supposed to be conformed to the image of christ who came to earth lived that life ministered the way he did, and then went to the cross willingly to intercede for you and me. 
How could we ever think that we should do any less? Now, I don't have to go to the cross because he did it once for all. But he has called each and every one of us who know him to and walk with him say, you know what, you have a job to do. You have a world to reach. Every single one of us. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 and 25 through 25 says this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Speaking of the priests in the Old Testament who had to make sacrifice in order to, to bring that, that, the, the forgiveness of sin for the people. But he holds his priesthood permanently, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. See, what the cross did and the resurrection, what they did was give Jesus the right and the authority to stand before the Father so that when the enemy brings accusation and says, do you know what they did? Jesus says, yes, but Father, remember what I did. And then he makes intercession, and that intercession is only possible because of the sacrifice. Intercessory prayer is not something that we're supposed to just, I'm just going to intercede for a minute. Okay, I'm good. You should feel it. It should cost you tears, emotion. I'm not emotional. God's emotional. Jesus wept because he cares about people. It should cost you. There should be aching in your soul over the lost. Now, I'm thankful I don't have to die on a cross, and neither do you. But in just a couple of weeks, we'll remember the one who did. Hopefully, we remember that daily. But as a church, we come together on Good Friday, and we'll remember what Jesus did for us, the sacrifice. But church, I'm so tired of rituals. It's time for the reality of a relationship with God to overwhelm and consume us. So intercessory prayer is compassionate, bold, persistent, impartial, and sacrificial I want to finish with this this morning. I have a couple of calls to action. And this is the part of the message where hear this out of what God is speaking to you, not out of a human flesh man pastor's words. Do not misinterpret this as frustration. But I believe that God is calling us to, as a church, to step up step up. What do I mean by that? We need to take our responsibility seriously. These cards, there's one on every seat. Not because I knew there would be someone sitting in every seat, but it reminds us that these cards are attached to lives. And every empty chair in this room 
represents a life, a person who does not yet know Jesus Christ. And I'm speaking specifically, I'm not talking about people who are maybe going to another church who are unhappy and want to find a better place. My prayer is, Lord, keep them where they're at. Lord, I want to see this church populated with people who don't know you, who raise their hand in this place and say yes to Jesus. That's what these cards represent. But this isn't about just taking a card and just going, oh, hey, here, I'm going to use Gavin as an example. Oh, hey, come to my church. We're doing Easter. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's not what this is designed to be. This is something that's designed for you to take and to pray over. And I would say pray a specific, bold, compassionate prayer that says, Lord, who is this card targeted to? As Esther, I know, would go on those excursions and go, Lord, who's the person that I'm going to pray for today? I know that because she would tell me that. Who is this card for? Would you hold it up? Take one, take many. Lord, these represent lives. Lord, this isn't about a bigger church. This is about a bigger heaven. And I pray that you would bring discernment and wisdom and compassion and you would move hearts. Holy Spirit, anoint these pieces of paper and the ones holding them. In Jesus' name. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to call our church to a fast. I'm going to ask you to fast. Here's what I'm asking you to fast specifically. Um, Over the next two weeks, the next two weeks, would you commit to fasting your lunch? I'm not going to do an open, hey, fast, pick something you want to fast. I'm asking us as a church, would you commit to fasting lunch? For the next two weeks. And during that time when you would take your lunch, would you set that time aside to pray? Pray for these people. Pray for the people in your life who don't know the Lord. And here's what I know will happen if we do this. When you know that your brothers and sisters in this place are interceding at the same time that you are, there's power, that there's a release of power, as we as one body come to the Lord boldly, saying, Lord, move. Move on behalf of these people. Pray over these cards. A week from tomorrow, some of you are aware of this, and this might be news to some of you. We actually have a bigger version of this. It's actually six and a half inches by 12 inches. And there are 9,984 of them that are going out in the mail. And they will land in mailboxes on the 21st, on Monday. And so 9, almost 10,000 homes in our community around Sellers Elementary School will get an invitation to be here on Easter Sunday. Can I just be honest? That freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> and it gets me really excited. Yeah. Can you imagine this room, standing room only? with people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I, I, the reason I mention these first and those second is I don't want you to think that those postcards let you off the hook. They will do their work. You do 
your work. But let's pray. Take time this week to drive around the city. Pray over the homes that are going to receive those postcards and ask the Lord to prepare hearts. My prayer is this, is that the postcards don't land on the bottom of the pile, that they land on the top of the pile, and that they're trash resistant. You know what I mean? That they're trash resistant. That somehow they keep ending up on the counter or on the fridge. And let's trust God for a harvest. My heart aches for our city and for the lost. The last thing is this. I want to exhort you and I want to encourage you to be a Friday prayer. We started a few weeks ago and a handful of you have come and we've had good times of prayer. But I want to address very clearly and very upfront, I believe a lie of the enemy that would say to us, someone else will be there and someone else will do it. I know we have full lives. You have a full life. I have a full life. But here's the words that kept resounding in my ears, especially over these next two weeks. There's Jesus in the garden coming back to the disciples to find them asleep and saying, could you not watch for one hour? Could you not pray for one hour? I want to challenge you as a church. Friday night prayer from 6 to 7 is not one of those things that I'm saying is, hey, this is, this is just an opportunity for us to come. This is where the battle happens. Determine, decide to be a part of it. Now, understand that's said with grace, and I understand there's things that are scheduled and life happens. But if you can be here, be here. And let's trust God for big things. Can we stand together this morning? <clears throat> I want us to close this way. I want you to extend your hands to the north, south, east, and west. And let's intercede for our city. Father God, this morning, we stand in the authority and the name of Jesus Christ, and that we declare over our city that Glendora would not be a lost city, that it would be a saved city, that it would not be a deceived city, but Lord, that the, that the city would come to a knowledge of the truth. We pray that this room, this place in Sellers Elementary School, Lord, would be the center, the epicenter of a move of the Holy Spirit in this city, Lord, that would result in revival. But God, my prayer is that it would start with us. God, give us your heart. Give us your compassion. God, cause our hearts to ache and break over the things that cause your heart to ache and break over. Lord, we pray specifically for the people in our lives who don't know you. I'm going to count to three. On the count of three, would you say their name out loud? One, two, three. Those names that you know, those people that you know, Lord Jesus, would you reach them? Would you draw them to yourself? And God, would you give us the privilege of partnering with you to see that happen? Jesus, you said that we need to pray and not give up. 
because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. God, I pray that we would be a church who is found worthy, that we are found worthy of gathering in the harvest. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to continue to worship. We have two more worship songs. Our prayer team will be available in the back of the room during our final song. The the ushers will come forward to receive the tithes and offering. But as we worship, spirit break out, is that as you sing these songs, imagine this, picture this, God doing something in you and then an overflowing spirit break out in me and then be released over our community. Let's worship. Let's worship.